his word together. Would you bow with me? Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Why should the nation say, where is their God? Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. And God, we affirm with the psalmist that you deserve all the glory, O God, and that you are sovereign over all things, God. And Lord, I pray that you would cultivate worship within us, O Lord. A sold-out passion for you, O God, that, that, that excels above, beyond anything, God, that we love. So Lord, we pray that you would do this work among us and give us the courage, God, to step out for you, O Lord. We celebrate you this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I've prepared this message for this morning, I've had to ask myself the question, how much do I love God? How much do I love God? And that's a question I want you to ask yourself. How much do you love God this morning? Does your love for Him trans- transcend all things? And does, does, it, does it flow into a life of worship for God? And that's today what we're going to talk about is what it is to have a passion for worshiping God. And we've sung different songs throughout this morning that declare that Jesus Christ died for sinners. He's the lamb who was slain. He was was the one who took our place, took our sin, and has given us life if we trust in Him. He died for us. And we can have hope for eternity, forgiveness, declared right with God and peace with God because of what Jesus did. And God is worthy to be worshipped for that. It's been said that all of us have a God-sized hole within our heart. St. Augustine said that our hearts are restless until we find rest in God. And you know, we could try all sorts of things to fill up that void in us, but at the end of the day, they just don't satisfy Because a love for God is all that's satisfied. God can satisfy the longing of our hearts. And He's worthy to be praised. And He's worthy to be praised for what He has done and for who He is. You know, throughout this series in the book of Joshua, the series has been called Strong and Courageous because that's what God is calling His people to be. But throughout the series, we've seen just different displays of God's attributes, who He is and what He's like. We've seen from chapter 1 that God is omnipresent. And what that means is he is everywhere. He told Joshua, I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. He's with Joshua always because God is omnipresent. He can do that. We've seen that God is, is omnipotent, which is to say he's all-powerful. He caused the Jordan River to dry up so Israel can pass through it. He caused hailstones to come from heaven and land on an opposing army because God is all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He's omniscient. God knew the sin of a guy named Achan when it was private, but God knew. And God knew the questions that Israel had, the answers for their questions. And God is worthy to be worshipped for who He is. He's a loving God. He's a faithful God. He delivers on His promises. God is good, but God is also just. He hates sin, and we should praise Him for that. He doesn't tolerate it. 
yet extends His mercy. God is worthy to be worshipped. So I ask you again, how much do you love God? Do you worship Him? Do you have a passion to worship God? Now I recognize there are some today who don't know God. You've heard of Him, you've heard of Jesus, you even heard of how Jesus died for you, but you've never given your life to Him. You've never surrendered your life to Him. And because of that, having a passion for God is something that's kind of foreign to you. And my prayer is that today you would surrender your life to Jesus Christ and, and know what it is to have that void in your life, that hole filled and satisfied with the one and only one who can satisfy it, being God. And that's my desire, and that God will create a, a heart of worship among all of us. And that's what today's pas- uh, passage is all about. A passion for worship that we see in God's people. Would you turn your Bibles, please, with me to Joshua chapter 22. It's hard to believe we've only got one Sunday left in this series. Here we are in the 22nd chapter of this great book. And we've seen so many great examples of faith and God's call for courage. And from the very beginning of the book, when God told Joshua to enter into the promised land, he told him, be strong and courageous. And Joshua, if you recall, had a choice to make. Is he going to trust God or is he going to just fizzle out in fear? But Joshua chose to trust God. And he had to do something right away in chapter 1, right after he trusted God. He had to go to three tribes of Israel, the tribe of Reuben, the tribe of Gad, and half of the tribe of Manasseh. See, these tribes lived on the eastern side of the Jordan River. And Moses had given them that land. But Moses also told them, you can stay in this land, but this is the one condition. When your brothers and sisters cross the Jordan into the promised land, you've got to send your, your soldiers with them and fight for them. And when you're done fighting, you can go back to your land on the eastern side of the Jordan River, which I'll call Gilead. That's what it's called, Gilead. So those are the Gilead tribes. And Joshua had to tell them, you've got to own up to your promise here. Are you willing to do that? And in chapter 1, they said, we will do it under this one condition for you, that you're strong and courageous and that you trust the Lord. And that's a match made in heaven. They were willing to fight and fulfill their promise if Joshua was willing to trust God. And that's precisely what we see throughout the book. These tribes are with Israel fighting. And here we come to chapter 22. The job has been done, if you recall. Last Sunday we saw how the whole land had been conquered and all of it had been allotted to Israel. And God gave them rest in the promised land, finally. And here we come to chapter 22. Let's look at verse 1. At that time, after the rest had been in the land, Joshua summoned the Reubenites and the Gadites and a half-tribe of Manasseh, and he said to them, You have kept all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, and have obeyed my voice in all that I have commanded you. So you've obeyed Moses, you've obeyed me. And he goes on in verse 3. You have not forsaken your brothers these many days, down to this day, but have been careful to keep the charge of the Lord your God. So you've done all that we asked you to do. You did all that Moses asked you to do. You were here for your brothers that they went into the land. And now he's about to give them this great address, like a keynote speaker at a graduation. You know, if you you graduate from high school or college, they usually bring in an alumnus or somebody who has some reputation and they'll deliver this charge of a message to you as graduates. And they'll say, you know, you've got to stay focused. You can be this and be that if you just keep your head in the books and and be a hard worker and on and on. They kind of give you this battle charge and you're ready to go off from graduation and, and conquer the world. And now Joshua's about to give them a similar kind of speech. 
in verse 4. And this is what he says. And now the Lord your God has given rest to your brothers as he promised them. Therefore, turn and go to your tents. Go to your home in the land where your possession lies, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you on the other side of the Jordan. He tells them, you've fulfilled your promise. It's time to go home. Can you imagine how excited they must have been? And he's seeing a lot of bloodshed, a lot of tears, a lot of fighting. They miss their families. These soldiers are ready to go home. And now Joshua says, you've done it all. It's time to go home. And he gives them this in verse 5. Only, he gives them another condition. Only be very careful to observe the commandments and the law that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you. And this is what it is. To love the Lord your God. To walk in all his ways, to keep his commandments and to cling to him and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. So Joshua blessed them and sent them away and they went to their tents. He gives them five verbs and he says, go with these things in mind, but go home now. Go and get some rest. He says, first, you got to love the Lord your God. Love him. Not like you love tacos or you love burritos or you love a particular sports team. Love God in a relational way that comes through communion with God. Go and love God. Love the Lord your God. He's worthy of your love. See what He's done for you? See how He's worthy to be worshipped? Go and love Him, Joshua tells them. He says, and walk in all of His ways. Let God's ways guide your every step. You're to walk, you keep a consistent pace. And you're going in a particular direction. And he's telling them, walk in the direction of God. Please Him in all that you do. Thirdly, he says, keep His commandments. The word keep is to watch over or to stand on guard like a watchman keeps watch over a city. And Joshua tells them, watch over God's commandments. Because in His commandments are the truth of who God is. And God reveals himself to us through his word. And he tells them, keep God's commands. It reminds me of Psalm 1, when it says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. And Joshua tells them, keep God's commands. God knows what's best for you. Fourth, he tells them, cling to God. Cling to him, in verse 5 there. To cling to something is to have a firm grip on it. If you remember last week, we said that we could cling to God because he delivers on his promises. And the opposite of clinging to God is growing anxious and being afraid. See, when we are not trusting God, we're, we're letting anxiety get the best of us. And we're not clinging to him. We're not saying, God, I trust you to deliver here. And Joshua's telling them, don't, don't be anxious by the trials that will face you. Cling to the Lord because He delivers on His promises. You've seen it, now cling to Him. And fifthly, he says, serve Him with all your heart and with all your soul. Serve God. Make Him known to others. It's not about you or making yourself famous, but make God famous by ser- serving Him and pointing people to God. Joshua gives them these five charges. And now they're ready to go home with it. If you look in verse 9, So the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh returned home, parting from the people of Israel at Shiloh, 
which is, the land, which is in the land of Canaan. Now this is an important detail for this story. He tells them that they were, he says that they were in the city of Shiloh. Now in chapter 18, verse 1, we didn't get to look at that last week, but 18, verse 1 tells us that the tent of meeting or the tabernacle was located in Shiloh. The tabernacle was a place where Israel was to go to worship God. That was a place where Moses went and it said that he spoke with God face to face. And Shiloh was the, the worship capital, if you will, of the nation of Israel. So now they're leaving Shiloh because they're not on the western part of, of the Jordan River. Remember, they live in the land of Gilead on the eastern part. So they're leaving Shiloh and they go to their land as God commanded them. Now as you think, you might be thinking what I'm thinking. We are now 22 chapters into this book that has 24 chapters in total. We've seen God deliver on His promises. We've seen just great, great uh, acts of miracles that God has done. Um, we, we've seen how, how God has given them rest in the land. And I'm thinking this book's about to be wrapped up. He's sending the tribes home. War is over. It's all about to be finished, right? That's what I think. But a major twist happens in verses 10 and 11 that set us up for the rest of this chapter. See, Joshua told, told them, go to your land and worship God. Love Him. Walk in His ways. Keep His commands. Cling to Him. Serve Him. Let yourself be marked by a passion for the worship of God. Now go and leave to your homeland in Gilead. Well, verse 10. And when they came to the region of the Jordan, that is in the land of Canaan, so they haven't crossed the Jordan yet, they're still on the western side, the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh built there an altar by the Jordan, an altar of imposing size. Verse 11. And the people of Israel heard it. They, they heard and it, it said, that behold, the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh have built an altar at the frontier of the land of Canaan, in the region about the Jordan, on the side that belongs to the people of Israel. Verse 12. And when the people of Israel heard of it, the whole assembly of the people of Israel gathered at Shiloh to make war against them. What's going on here? Well, it said that they built an altar of imposing size, size on the western side of the Jordan River, on the side that belongs to the ten tribes of Israel that was just conquered. They built an altar. What kind of altar? It says imposing size. It was something that could be seen at a distance. And the other ten tribes of Israel put two and two together and it's saying, that, that's, God didn't sanction that altar. What's that altar for? And their first thoughts were one of two. Either that altar is the sacrifice where God did not say you can sacrifice because that's not the tabernacle. Or that altar is for a foreign God. And so they were zealous for God. They were jealous for the worship of Him. And they were ready to make war against their own brothers because they thought their brothers had forsaken God. They wanted to purge that from their midst. Quite a twist indeed, huh? They're, they're heading back home and then this happens. And you might be thinking with the rest of Israel, what's going on? I mean, really? Have you not seen what God's been doing? What are you doing? Why are you doing this? Well, before Israel decides to actually send the soldiers in and wipe out their brothers, they send a delegation. They send a, a priest by the name of Phinehas and ten other elders in the, from the tribes of Israel. 
And this is where we see in verse 13, the people of Israel sent to the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh in the land of Gilead, Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the priest, and with him ten chiefs, one from each of the tribes of Israel. And in verse 16, this is what they said, Thus says the whole congregation of the Lord, What is this breach of faith that you have committed against the God of Israel in turning away this day from following the Lord by building yourselves an altar this day in rebellion against the Lord? In shorthand, they're saying, what are you doing? Are you going to be that quick to turn on God after all He's done for you? Have you forgotten how much God has responded on your behalf? How He alone is worthy of worship? What have you done? See, Deuteronomy 12, verses 13 and 14 say, Take care that you do not offer your burnt offerings at any place that you see, but at the place that the Lord will choose in one of your tribes, which happened to be Shiloh. There you shall offer your burnt offerings, and there you shall do all that I am commanding you. But you're supposed to do it in Shiloh. But then Deuteronomy 13, verses 12 through 15 says, If you hear of one of your cities, which the Lord your God has given you to dwell there, that certain worthless fellows have gone out among you and have drawn away the inhabitants of their city, saying, Let us go and serve other gods, which you have not known. Then you shall inquire and make search and ask diligently. And behold, if it be true and certain that such an abomination has been done among you, you shall surely put the inhabitants of that city to the sword." devoting it to destruction, all who are in it. And that's what, that's what they were ready to do. But they said, let's inquire first. As they ask questions, they say in verse 17, Have we not had enough of sin at Peor, from which even yet we have not cleansed ourselves, and for which there came a plague upon a congregation of the Lord? See, this guy named Phineas is giving a report of what's going on. And he says, don't you remember what happened in the city of Peor? Numbers 25? Don't you guys remember how in the time of Moses, Israel started worshiping the gods of the Moabites? And how God sent a plague and 24,000 people died in Israel? He's telling them, don't you remember this? Why, why would you turn from God then? He gives them another example. In verse 20, Did not Achan, the son of Zerah, break faith in the matter of the devoted things, and the wrath fell upon and the wrath of God fell upon all the congregation of Israel. Don't you remember chapter 7 of this book? How Achan stole the gold and riches of Jericho? And how people died for that? He's telling them, what are you thinking? But I love how in verse 19, he gives them an opportunity to repent of their, of their folly. He says this, But now, if the land of your possession is unclean, Pass over into the Lord's land where the Lord's tabernacle stands. Come over with us on the other side of the Jordan. Leave where you were and take for yourselves possessions among us. Only do not rebel against the Lord or make us a rebel by building for yourselves an altar other than the altar of the Lord our God. They're saying, we'll give you some of the land that we fought for. We'll give you some of it. Just, just don't go off in your land and worship a false god. You, you can hear the passion of the ten tribes of Israel here, as they're pleading with their brothers, don't do this. Don't turn on God. Don't turn on Him. See, they wanted to purge idolatry from their midst because they were jealous for the worship of God. Well, as a good delegation would do, they stop talking and they start listening. So what do you have to say about this? 
And what happens in verses 21 through 29 is a response that, that is pretty magnificent, if you will. They start out with mentioning three words. And in English, it's translated like this in verse 22. This is the tribes that were guilty of building this altar. They say this. The mighty one, God, the Lord. The mighty one, God, the Lord. He knows. And let Israel itself know. If it was in rebellion or in breach of faith against the Lord, do not spare us today for building an altar to turn away from following the Lord. They're saying, look, the mighty one, God, the Lord, He's our God. We're not turning from Him. And you see how choppy it is there. They just say, the mighty one, God, the Lord, the mighty one, God, the Lord. And there's a repetition because you can see the anxiety in their own hearts. No, 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 we're not doing this. We're not trying to worship a God. And He says, God knows. He knows. Let all Israel know. If we're trying to do that, then God shouldn't spare us. But that's not why we built the altar. Verse 24, no, but we did it from fear that in time to come, your children might say to our children, what have you to do with the Lord, the God of Israel? For the Lord has made the Jordan a boundary between you, us and you. You people of Reuben and the people of Gad, you have no portion in the Lord. So your children might make our children cease to worship the Lord. This is what, he's, this is what they're saying. Please know, this is why we put this altar there. It was not to worship any other God. But our fear was, since the Jordan River separates you tribes and our tribes here in Gilead, our fear was that in future generations, your children will tell our children that Jordan River divides us. You're not part of Israel. You can't come to Shiloh. You can't worship our God. So in reality, the people of Gilead were just as jealous for the worship of God as the tribes on the other side. They said, we don't want our children in future generations to forsake God. So we're going to build this altar that is visible. It's imposing size. You can see it anywhere in the land to remind our children and remind your children that we are one and we worship Yahweh, the God of Israel, who has done these things. This story is not as bad as we thought it was going to be. In reality, they were jealous for the worship of God for future generations. I love how he says it there at the end of verse 25. The fear was that your children might make our children cease to worship God, worship the Lord. And oh, how they didn't want that to happen. Verse 26, Therefore we said, let us now build an altar, for not for burnt offerings, nor for sacrifices, but to be a witness between us and between you, between our generations after us, that we do perform the service of the Lord in His presence, referring to the tabernacle, with our burnt offerings and sacrifices and peace offerings. So your children will not say to our children in time to come, you have no portion in the Lord. They tell them then, in verse 28, Behold, the copy of the altar of the Lord, which our fathers made, not for burnt offerings, nor for sacrifices, but to be a witness between us and you. They wanted their future children to say, look, this altar says we worship God. Not here at this, in this altar. This is just a copy. This altar is just a witness between you and between us that we serve God together. I love how their zeal for God, both tribes, was equal to one another. And we see in verse 30, 
when Phinehas the priest and the chiefs of the congregation and the heads of the families of Israel who were with, the her, with him heard the words that the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh spoke, it was good in their eyes. Drop down to the end of verse 20, uh, 31. Today we know, they said, that the Lord is in our midst because you have not committed this breach of faith against the Lord. Now you have delivered the people of Israel from the Lord. So these guys, Phinehas and the ten leaders, go back to the other tribes and they give this report and they affirm the same thing. It was good in their sight. And they say, for this reason, we know that God is with us. God has spared us. Community and fellowship exists still here in Israel. See, Joshua chapter 22 is all about a passion for worship. The West tribes were just afraid that their brothers had gone off the deep end and started worshiping other gods. And they were jealous for their God. The eastern tribes in Gilead were afraid that future generations wouldn't let them, let their children worship God. And what both tribes understood was this, is that in all people there is a God-sized hole. And that we must be jealous for the worship of God that others might come to know Him and worship Him the same. They wanted their children to know that their longings, their, their greatest longing in life can be satisfied in the God of the Bible. And that's what God wants to create in each one of us. That same kind of desire for our own selves and for future generations. So how much do you love God? Do you have a passion to worship Him? Is He the Lord of your life? Or are there idols in your heart that you need to purge yourself from? If you remember in John chapter 4, there's a story where Jesus talks to a woman at the well. And she tells him, we've heard that, and she asks some questions, do, do we worship God on this mountain or that mountain? And Jesus tells her, there's a time that is coming and now is that it doesn't matter where you worship but true worshipers of God will worship Him in spirit and in truth. So as I say, God's not, God's not limited to a location. God can't just be worshipped within these walls. Because worship is a matter of our lives, not a matter of something we do on Sunday mornings. And God needs to cultivate a heart of worship in you and I. A worship to worship Him in spirit and in truth. I was reading a book recently called Vertical Church by James McDonald, and he makes this great point about worship. And he says, we affirm that God is omnipresent, that God is everywhere. So right now, God is in our midst, right here. When you go home, God is there. When you're in your car, God is there. God is everywhere. But because God is everywhere, doesn't mean necessarily that He's being worshipped. Because God is present in your midst doesn't mean that you're encountering Him in worship. See, the worship of God comes from a heart that's submitted to Him. And in order to have that heart, we must purge ourselves of the different idols in our lives. See, when Joshua told the people in 22 verse 5, verse, verse five to love God, to walk in His ways, to keep His commands, to cling to Him and to serve Him. He was telling Him, this is the manner of worship. And this is how God wants us to worship Him. To let Him be the greatest love of our lives. Not sports. Not your child. Not your spouse. Not the hope for a spouse. Not your job. But that God would be the greatest love of your life. 
that you would walk in His ways, that you keep His commands, which comes by immersing yourself in God's Word. Because as we immerse ourselves in God's Word, He shows us the truth. And then we can, we can discern then lies and worship God truly, purging ourselves from the idols in our hearts. Because that's how our flesh operates. That's how the enemy operates. Wanting us to trust other things. To lean on other things. That's why, that's why Joshua says, cling to God. Don't, don't make a phone call when you're, when you're uh, stressed. Don't go on Facebook. Don't go to your addiction. Go to God. Cling to Him. And let Him purge the idols of your life and give you the rest and the peace that is found in Him. So will we be those who serve God as well, making Him known and not ourselves? That's what having a passion for worship is like. You know, a passion for worship also involves us having passion for other people's worship. And what that means is when we smell smoke in someone else's life, we come and talk to them and say, I smell smoke, is there a fire? See, that's not, that's not comfortable for most of us. Most of us don't like having those awkward conversations. But look at Israel here. Look how aggressive they were about the smoke that they smelled. They, they had their army ready for battle. They were ready to make war against the sin that they saw their brothers doing. And are you having that same kind of zeal to make war about the idols in your life and the, the sin in others? Do you love them enough to confront sin, to address a concern because you see smoke? See, look how Israel did it. They saw the altar of imposing size. That's smoke. So the fire, they thought, are they worshiping another god or are they sacrificing in places they shouldn't sacrifice? In any case, we see the altar and there's smoke in our eyes. But they give us a good example of how to address that. So if, if you're like me, a lot of us, we don't like that confrontation. But if you love worship, you're going to love and be jealous for God. And you want others to worship Him with you. And if one of us is walking in sin, we need you to come and show me, say, hey, I've seen this. Is that what's happening? And that's what Israel did. But look how they did it. They came to them first. And then they shared their concern. Now, they didn't beat them up verbally. They didn't call them names. They said... They, they did say, this is our concern. This is a breach of faith we've seen. And then they were clear about their concern. Remember the sin at Peor? Remember Achan? I'm seeing the same thing in you. But then they also gave him an opportunity for repentance. Look, just, just turn from your sin and, and come to God. He will forgive you. He is merciful. And then they listened. And that, that's a model for addressing concerns. When we smell smoke in one of our lives, we need to come with love, not beating people up, but saying, look, this is what I'm seeing. These are my concerns. Turn from your sin. Show me, tell me, is this what, I, is, is what I'm seeing right? And then when their smoke was shown to be not real smoke, they accepted it. They weren't adamant because they believed that God had brought clarity to the situation. See, it wasn't about them. So that's why they weren't afraid of being wrong because they said they saw this altar of imposing size but at the end of the day it wasn't what they thought it was and they were okay with that because it wasn't about them but it was about the worship of God. And that's what brought them to talk to them in the first place. 
So if we love God, if we worship Him, we've got to address concerns in each other's lives because we want each of us to walk in God's ways, to keep His commandments, to cling to Him and to serve Him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And on the flip side, being the one who's, who's confronted is never easy. If you ever had someone come in your life and say, I'm seeing this in your life, it's not fun. Because we, we don't like being wrong and we get very defensive. It's, it's, it's almost human nature to put up a wall. But here we see an example of somebody in the eastern tribes how to really address the circumstance. See, they, they weren't defensive. They didn't get angry at them and storm off. They didn't start accusing them, saying, well, look what you guys are doing over there. But were the first words out of their mouth? The mighty one, God, the Lord. The mighty one, God, the Lord. It's like they humbled themselves from the start beneath God, saying, no, no, no. Please know, I'm, I want to worship the Lord with all that I am. And if we are being confronted and, and maybe someone's asking us something and, and it's not true, we can say, no, no, that's not what's happening. I'm serving the Lord. That's not what, what you're seeing is not really what it is. And look how they continue on. They say, God knows. He knows our hearts. If, if it wasn't wrong that we did this, then we'll take the judgment. They were willing to take the responsibility if their hearts were wrong. And that's the sign of someone who's really humbled himself before God. Even though they were innocent, they said, if we were wrong, then don't spare us. Because, look, we're, we're trying to honor God here. They weren't trying to fight this. They're trying to please their Lord. And then they go on and explain why they did what they did. But they didn't lie either. They didn't lie. And that's crucial when we talk to each other. We've got to be honest with one another. We can't lie. And here, as truth was brought forward, we, they realized the smoke was not really a fire, and God brought peace in the land. And that's a model for addressing concerns in our lives. And as uncomfortable as it might be at different times, we've got to do it, brothers and sisters. If we worship God, if we love Him, we've got to be in each other's lives to encourage, to bless, but also to challenge and confront if necessary. And that's what the people of God did here. See, the point of, the point of, of, of confront is always to preserve worship, that we would be a people of God who love God. Well, also we see that this passion for worship that these tribes had was not only about worship in the here and now. It was about that, purging idols, confronting sin. But their great passion and concern for worship was for the future generations. You ever think about that? I mean, you're here today because others before you loved God that much to tell others who told others who brought you here. It was a passion for worship that has brought God's people for 2,000 years back to the foot of the cross in worship of Him. And that won't happen in future generations unless you and I have that same passion to, to preserve worship for future generations. And I pray God would do that among us here at Good News Bible Church. You know, we've stated that our church vision has five different points. I want to stress three of them here is that we would be a, a church that is intentional in evangelism. 
That we would be those who are looking for opportunities to tell people about how much Jesus loves them and how that God-sized hole can be filled. See, that, that takes us back to worship. Evangelism does. And this is how it does. John Piper, in his book on missions, he says, Missions exist because worship doesn't. See, where there is a people who don't know God, therefore they're not worshiping God. And when they're not worshiping God, missions then, therefore, goes to them. So where there is no worship of God, you are God's missionary to go to His people. That's, that's intentional evangelism. That's missional living. Saying, I love the worship of God so much that I want those who don't know about Him to become a worshiper of God who satisfies our greatest longing. So we've stressed how we want to be those who are evangelistic or missional or those who tell people about Jesus. A second thing in our church vision we've stressed is discipleship. Discipleship preserves generations of worship. <clears throat> we've got to make disciples. Jesus tells us, go therefore make disciples of all nations. Those are the last words he left us with people. And then he ascended into heaven. Because it is through discipleship that new worshipers are made. So we have a responsibility to one another. To take other men and other women under our wings. Get them in our lives. Bring them to our homes. Showing them how, modeling for them a worship for God as a lifestyle. Not just something we do here on Sunday mornings. Discipleship is crucial. And I've mentioned it before, but I want to keep stressing that the, the elders here at Good News Bible Church, it is our, one of our primary goals this year to see discipleship continue to grow in our body here at Good News. Because that's what preserves worship for a future generation. So get on board with that, brothers and sisters. Talk to people. Ask them to lead you, to, to disciple you. Talk to others saying, hey, I'd love to study with you. Can we, can we walk in God's word together for a season here? Making worshipers of God. He's worthy of it. Passion for worship is pressed on to another generation through family worship in our homes. And I can't stress how much, how important it is for families to worship God together throughout the week. And husbands, fathers, this burden is on you first and foremost in your home. You've got to take it on. You've got to say, I want to preserve worship in my children this bad that I'm going to open God's word with them. I'm going to pray with them every day. We're going to sing songs to God together as a family. I mean, look how, look how zealous they were. They built this imposing altar because they were afraid their children wouldn't love the Lord. And do you have that same kind of zeal for God, for your children? And we know that we, as parents, their salvation is, is in God's hands. We can't make them love God, but boy, we can model for them. We can plead with God. We can show them the love of God and worship of Him. And I know there are others of you here today, maybe, maybe the Father's not in the home, or maybe spiritually He's just not there. And I just plead with you women, to love God and step up and say, you know, even though, God, these are these different challenges, I will raise my son or my daughter to honor and love you, God. And I'm going to believe you, God, to give me the strength and the courage and to, to give me the ability to raise my child to love you. See, God is faithful. He loves families. And he will give you all that you need 
men and women to raise your children in the fear of the Lord and to pray and ask Him to guide them. And we know for again, as I've mentioned before earlier in the series, some of your children are older, they're out of the house, or maybe they're, they're in high school or college. And it's never too late to model worship for your kids. It's never too late. The future generation of worshipers of God is dependent upon you being that example. So embrace that. Be strong and courageous for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth, but meditate on it day and night. Be careful to do all that's in it, for then God will make your way prosperous. Then you will, you will have success. God tells Joshua that in chapter 1. And he's telling you today to make disciples of your families, of your friends, of the people here at Good News Bible Church. How much do you love God? How much do you have a desire to worship Him? My prayer today has been that God would make us, uh, cultivate within us a passion for Him. The kind of passion that the, the Western tribes had where they're, they're ready to make war on behalf for God to, to preserve worship. The kind of passion that the Eastern tribes had in making His altar so that their children would know that God would do that work among us, purging ourselves of idols so He would be our focus, our love, giving us the courage to talk to others when we smell smoke, giving us the, the wisdom to make disciples for future generations, and all of this for one goal, that God would be glorified. Psalm 34 says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be, my, be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. And then the psalmist says this. He says, Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt His name together. And would that be the cry of your heart, that we would exalt God's name together. As I mentioned before, there are some today I know who, who a lot of this is foreign to you because you're thinking, I, I don't love God like that. I don't know God in that personal way. I have that, that, that hole in my heart and I've tried to fill it with different things and it's just, those things don't satisfy. And I pray that today you would find your rest in God. See, Jesus Christ, it was God became man to die for you, to take upon your sin, to, to give you forgiveness so that you don't have to walk with shame or guilt. And that by trusting Him, you can have eternal life. Would you do that today? If you don't know Jesus, if you've never surrendered your life fully to Him, all you've got to do is, is, is pray to Him and, and embrace His forgiveness and walk in a way that honors Him from this point forward. So we're in a moment going to stand together and, and sing a closing song. And we're going to have prayer counselors that come forward. And if you come with a prayer need, if, if you just... You have that, that hole in your heart and it has not been filled by God yet. Would you come to a prayer counselor? I know that they're eager to pray with you. And there are others of you who have different things in your hearts and mind regarding worship, maybe regarding other things in life. Please, too, come forward. Because God wants to make worshipers of us, to be worshipers of Him. Let's bow together in prayer. Father, Psalm 115.1 says, Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name we give glory. And God, 
we worship you this day. You are the only true God. All other gods are fake gods. Money cannot satisfy. Sex cannot satisfy. Addictions cannot satisfy. Friends cannot satisfy. A spouse, children, it cannot satisfy the way that you satisfy, O oh God. So Lord, we come to you and pray, God, that you would cultivate worship in our hearts. Father, may we be strong and courageous for you. In Jesus' name, amen.